It's time once again uh, to review another important topic following on our, our review last week. But before we get going, let's just take a few minutes to review some basic concepts to put everything into perspective. We're going to review the concepts of occasions of sin. An occasion of sin is any person, place, or thing that tempts a man to sin. An occasion of sin is any person, place, or thing that tempts a man to sin. There are four distinctions, four types of occasions of sin. Four types. The four types are remote, near, voluntary, necessary. Remote, near, voluntary, necessary. We'll take a quick look at each. For the sake of simplicity, we're just going to only assume mortal sin, okay? It applies to venial sin, but we'll just, today we'll only consider occasions of mortal sin. Keep in mind when we're talking about an occasion of sin, then, of mortal sin, we're talking about an extremely dangerous situation. We're talking about situations which are a threat to our eternal salvation. They're a threat to our happiness. All right, so the first, we'll look at the difference between remote and near occasions of sin. These terms, remote and near, when we're speaking about a remote occasion of sin or a near occasion of sin, what we're talking about is how dangerous the occasion of sin is. So these give us an idea of how dangerous it is. A remote occasion of sin is a situation in which men seldom fall. It's not that dangerous. A near occasion of sin is a situation in which men always or nearly always fall. It's extremely dangerous. Okay, so like a remote occasion of sin is you see the cliff, the edge is over there, it's quite a ways away. A near occasion of sin, the cliff edge is greased and you're standing there with a high wind blowing, you know, on the edge of it. That's kind of what they're like. Oh, see, so remote, the edge is a long ways away, near, you're teetering on the edge of the abyss. Okay, so remote occasion of sin, they seldom fall, it's not that dangerous. Near occasion of sin, men always, nearly always fall, it's very dangerous. So that gives us the idea of the danger of the occasion. How about voluntary and necessary occasion of sin? These terms, voluntary and necessary occasion of sin, give us an idea of how willingly we have entered into this particular dangerous situation. They give us an idea of how easily we could have avoided this dangerous situation, okay? So voluntary occasion of sin could be avoided. There's the cliff edge over there. I don't have to walk over and look at it. Okay, I know it's there. If I go over there to the edge, you know, that's me voluntarily placing my body on the edge of the cliff. Okay, that's voluntary. A necessary occasion of sin cannot be easily avoided. It can't be avoided at all. It can't be easily avoided without serious loss, which means that men must take the proper precautions to prevent falling. You're walking down a trail and all of a sudden the trail comes along a cliff edge. You're going down that trail. Well, okay, there you are. We'll get to concrete examples of that in sin in a minute. So, an occasion of sin is any person, place, or thing that tempts a man to sin. There are four different types of occasions of sin. Remote or near, necessary or voluntary. The terms remote and near occasion of sin signify how dangerous the situation is. A remote occasion of sin is a situation in which men rarely sin like having a bottle of whiskey laying around somewhere in the cupboard, okay, walking around on planet Earth. 
Alright? A near occasion of sin is a situation in which men always or nearly always fall like they're going to really bad movies or deliberately spending a lot of time with really bad company. Okay? So the terms of voluntary and necessary occasion of sin give us an idea of how willingly we've entered into a particularly dangerous situation. These terms tell us how easily we could have avoided that dangerous situation. A voluntary situation or a voluntary occasion of sin can be avoided. A necessary occasion of sin can't be avoided, at least not without grievous loss. So men must take proper precautions to avoid falling. Now, let's take all that, what we've learned, and ask ourselves a few questions. First question, are we allowed to place ourselves into an occasion of sin? Now that we have the distinctions, we can answer, it depends on what kind of occasion of sin we're dealing with. So let's go through them. First, are we allowed to put, place ourselves in a remote occasion of sin? Sure. They're not particularly dangerous. They're remote. Walking around, living, is a remote occasion of sin. That's the situation we are on planet Earth. We're in a fallen world. We can get in trouble. I mean, it doesn't mean it's right in our face, but it's not hard to get in trouble. If you want to sin, you can get Okay, but it's remote. Okay, A life in a fallen world like ours is full of remote occasion of sin. How about near occasion of sin then? Are we allowed to place ourselves into a near occasion of sin? Now remember again that near occasions of sin are dangerous. Near occasions of sin are serious threats to our eternal salvation. So the question is, are we allowed to place ourselves in a near occasions of sin? The answer, it depends. Well, what does it depend on, Father? Remember, we're talking about something very dangerous here, but it depends upon whether it's a necessary near occasion of sin or a voluntary near occasion of sin. So if we ask the question, are we allowed to place ourselves into a near occasion of sin, what's the answer? If it's a voluntary occasion of sin, the answer is no. I can't just walk up to the edge of the cliff and start dancing around without a darn good reason, okay? I can't voluntarily place myself right into harm's way without a very serious reason. That's exactly what we promise when we make a good confession. When we make the act of contrition, we promise to avoid near occasions of sin. We're promised to avoid voluntary near occasions of sin. But listen carefully. If it's a necessary near occasion of sin, we can put ourselves into it if we take the proper precautions to avoid falling. Doctors have to do this all the time. Priests hear confessions. For this, we're thankful. We're thankful for doctors. Politicians, if they're honest, have to deal with a lot of politicians that are not honest, and so forth. I mean, and these are the real situations. These are necessary duties. There are many duties in life where if they're necessary, they may place us in these sins. But if it's necessary, then we have to take the proper precautions. So if it's a necessary occasion of sin, we can place ourselves in it if, if and only if, we take the proper precautions to avoid falling. The more serious the danger, the more serious precautions we need to take. Because again, it's like walking along, balancing on the edge of a greasy cliff in a storm. It's not a place we, we want to be, but we have to be there perhaps because of our duties. Okay, again, the terms of voluntary and necessary occasions sin give us an idea of how easily this particular situation could be avoided. They give us an idea of whether or not we have the right or the duty to be in this particular dangerous situation. Without a very good reason, we can't voluntarily go up to the edge of the cliff and place ourselves into harm's way. That's exactly what we promise not to do when we make the act of contrition. But when we're talking about a necessary occasion of sin, we can put ourselves into that occasion if we take the proper precautions 
to avoid falling. The more serious the occasion is sin, the more serious precautions we need to take, okay? All that's by way of review to make sure we have this clearly into our minds. It applies in many places. Today, we'll start, we did that so that we'll clearly understand the next quote, which I've taken from the standard manual of pastoral theology. This is a text that is used for training priests. Quote, Company keeping, that is to say dating, company keeping with the intention of timely marriage can be considered as a necessary occasion of sin, since in our society at least people do not marry strangers. However, those keeping company, and especially the engaged, must use the ordinary supernatural and natural means whereby the near occasion of sin, falling into sin, is made remote, especially in regards to circumstances of being loaned together." Close quote. Quick summarize that again. Company keeping or dating with intention of early marriage can be considered as a necessary occasion of sin. However, those keep company must use the ordinary, supernatural, and natural means, whereby the near occasion of falling into sin is made remote, especially in regard with being alone together. There are two points that we all need to burn into our minds. First, company keeping, that's dating, is a necessary occasion of sin. Why is it necessary? Because in our society we don't have arranged marriages. And it's a grievous loss not to be married when somebody has a vocation. In other words, dating is serious. It's not a form of recreation. It's serious. Second, because it's a necessary occasion of sin, those keeping company must use the ordinary supernatural and natural means in order to make sure that this near occasion of falling to sin is made remote. What are those precautions? According to St. Alphonsus, there are three natural precautions and two supernatural precautions that a couple must observe in order to avoid becoming a near occasion of sin for each other. The three natural precautions are, and we'll go into some detail in a minute, one, avoid as much as possible being alone with one another. Two, avoid as much as possible speaking confidentially with one another. And three, avoid as much as possible looking at one another. Let's take a quote. These sound radical. I don't make this up. I'm in sales, not management. It comes from God. I'm just telling you how it is. This isn't Father Wolf's show. I'm telling you where the boundaries are. Okay, let's take a closer look at each of these. First, avoiding as much as possible being alone with one another. This is where the whole concept of a chaperone comes from, this radical idea. It's just a recognition that men like women and women like men, and we're weak. That's where it comes from. Second, avoid as much as possible speaking confidentially with one another. Now, this is a very important point, especially for the ladies. Ladies, you need to understand this. Men typically fall through the eyes, but women typically fall through the ears. It sounds funny. Typically. Ears are the weak point. There's a certain type of predatory male that is a master at taking advantage of this, just to take it to extreme. We've all heard expressions for this kind of guy, okay? He's a sweet talker, he's got good lines, he's real smooth, he's a silver-tongued devil. We've all heard those things, okay? Look, the original silver-tongued devil seduced the first woman into sin by smooth-talking her. She was perfect, and she fell. And the serpent keeps successfully striking in the same way. Thanks a lot, Eve. So women have to be careful about sweet talk. And by extension, 
the same kind of things when they're written. Love notes, romantic, gushy stuff, all that kind of thing, okay? What makes this especially difficult is that sweet talking in itself is not bad. It depends on what's being said and what the motives are. This is why it's really important, especially for the young woman at home. Fathers interview the guy. The guy, dad interviews the guy that wants to court his daughter and make him sit down and have a little man-to-man -man talk and explain his intentions. Daughters, I'll remind you that dads are actually guys and they know how guys think. And God has given dad a very important role in protecting you and running off the bumps. Okay, so although the buck stops with dad, because God gives a faithful wife two things. He gives her what's called the grace of state, which if she's faithful to her duties in state life, she has special graces to guide her family and all the things propped off. So you get, she gets two things. He gives her the grace of state and a special feminine intuition. So mom may very well smell a rat, which is why dad should take careful account of his wife's assessment of this young man. It's a team effort and you gotta take him out if he's a clown, okay? So ladies, watch your ears, be careful about what you watch or listen to and read. Be careful about being super available on your cell phone. This is a high access type item, be careful. Now some of you might be thinking, Father, relax, I can handle it, and you know, all that. That kind of, uh, that kind of talk goes into the category of famous last words. Eve was sinless. She was perfectly sinless. And she fell. You're not Eve. In the society we live in, if you have this overconfidence in yourself, if you keep that kind of attitude, it's a cinch bet you'll lose your virtue. It's only a question of time. Got to be careful. We live in corrupt times. Don't automatically trust yourself. That's the first rule in spiritual life. Trust the judgment of your dad, your mom, the warnings of your brothers, your older sisters, astute friends. Be careful. Remember your dignity. So avoid as much as possible speaking confidentially with one another. Third, avoid as much as possible looking at one another. Typically, this is how the men get taken out. So be careful, you know. Remember, we're weak. Don't trust yourself, okay? So natural considerations are be careful not to spend time alone. Applies with equal force to both parties. Be careful who and what you listen to, which is a warning that's especially pertinent to the ladies. And be careful about uh, what you're looking at, which applies especially to the men. According to St. Alphonsus, there are two supernatural precautions that a couple must observe in order to avoid becoming a near occasion of sin for one another. These are the two supernatural precautions. The first one, prayer to God and the Blessed Virgin for help in resisting temptations. Second supernatural means are frequent confession and fervent communions in order to keep and gain strength to resist temptations. Okay? That's it. Now, before we close, let's draw four practical inclusions. These are important. First conclusion, keeping company or dating is not a type of recreation. The purpose and the only purpose of keeping company is to determine, is this the man or the woman that I will marry? Is this the person who can best help me get to heaven and who I want to spend my life helping get to heaven? All eternity hangs on the correct answer to these questions if you've got a vocation to marriage. Okay, second conclusion, if you're not reasonably sure that you have a vocation of marriage, then you got no business dating. Why? Because it is the sin of presumption to enter an occasion of sin without a good reason. If we aren't reasonably sure we have a vocation to holy matrimony, 
then there's no way we can justify placing ourselves in that situation. Third conclusion, guys, if you're confident you have the vocation to be married, but you're not yet capable of being married, for example, you're too young, or you're old enough, but you can't keep a roof over your head and food on the table, or you're not pretty darn close to being able to do just that, you have no business keeping company, period, close the book. Ladies, if you're confident you have the vocation to be married, but you're not yet capable of being married, for example, if you're too young, you got no business keeping company, period, close the book. If you're capable, don't waste any time at all with a man who can't put a roof over your head and food on the table. Sweet talking doesn't feed the kids, it doesn't pay the bills. Okay, fourth conclusion. If you're confident of the vocation of marriage and you're ready to be married and you're keeping company, but you come to the realization that this isn't the right one for you, you must break off the relationship immediately. Immediately, it's a question in the first place of honesty. It's a question of integrity. It's a question of salvation. Don't be weak here. There's disaster ahead for the weak. Guard your heart. Break up. You owe it to the other person. You owe it to yourself. And you owe it to the good God who created you. Before we close, please notice what we're not saying. We're not saying that young men and women are supposed to be hermetically sealed and isolated from one another. Not at all. In fact, this kind of treatment, if you come up with that, it's a cinch bet that there's going to be horrific consequences. Okay? The first wink and everything's over. This is a bad idea. Okay? Actually, young men and women should get to know each other. Their safety in numbers with reasonably supervised groups of nice young women and nice young men. Friendly acquaintances are generally fine. What is not appropriate is company keeping between one young man and one young woman before the right time. God has created us in a certain way with a profound attraction for one another. And the fall of man has wounded us in such a way that our passions can easily run out of control and we ignore those two basic realities at our own peril. Let's close. If you're courting, remember that someday you're going to have to report to the good Lord. Young men, will you be able to say, Lord, in spite of the weakness of my flesh and my disordered desires, I treated this beautiful young woman that you sent into my life with respect, dignity, and care due to her. I didn't do anything to endanger her eternal salvation, which you paid for at the expense of your life and every drop of your precious blood. Young women, will you be able to say the same thing about the young man? Without cutting corners on any of God's laws, Let's strive to make sure that our relationships with members of the opposite sex are characterized by charity, compassion, thoughtfulness, and kindness. Let's strive to live always in the light of eternity.